Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry sky and see your hand in time and mind to lead me through the night. I'm going to speak for a little while this afternoon. I'm going to share some stories. I'm going to look at some verses of Scripture. They'll be put up on the screen. And my whole intention, my entire goal and direction in speaking this short while this afternoon is to inspire each and every one in the sound of my voice to have a conversation with God in conclusion. Prayer. In our own way, in our own fashion, in our own words, to have a conversation with God. That is exactly what I am attempting to do. There you go. Cat's out of the bag. That's what I am trying to do in sharing this talk, this speech, this sermon, whatever you want to call it, so that we would respond to God. As you might expect, as pastor of this congregation, I am in the people business. I've been in ministry now for more than 30 years. I've been around church and around congregations for more than 50 years. And over all those years and all those experiences, I've observed some things, quite frankly, that they trouble me. I've seen some things and reflected on some things that, to me, seem out of place with following Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. I've wondered how in the world good people end up in bad situations. Over the years and the course of time in various congregations, I've traveled and ministered in 40 different states and God knows how many different churches as part of our ministry. And I've seen this and that and the other. And, you know, I come across, what about this young lady who's kind and compassionate and friendly, but she's often in a bad relationship? What about that? What about the, the faithful family that even serves in some ministry in the church, but they seem to regularly be in financial trouble? What about that? What about the, the friendly, interesting couple whose children, unfortunately, are giving them regular grief? Or, or what about the couple who found Jesus long ago? They seem to really love Jesus, but they fight and argue like complete enemies. I'm bothered by the good young man who seemed to not be able to keep anything related to a decent job. I'm concerned about a sincere person whose lack of personal control brings ongoing health issues. Am I the only one who has ever wondered about such things? Three or four years ago, I learned of the ridiculous tragedy of a longtime friend. In fact, he was a friend for 20 plus years, an enjoyable person, a helpful, fun, pleasant, church going man. Not only church going, but church involved. He served and ministered to others. But a few years ago, unexpectedly, my wife and I received a call from his wife. 
and she discovered that the man had maintained a mistress in another state for seven, eight, ten years. He destroyed his marriage, devastated his children, and rocked the faith of those he'd influenced. It makes me to ask, how? How does that happen? How does a nice person do something so foolish? I'm aware of another good man, an older man, a a man who spent his entire life serving congregations, a man who planted churches and pastored churches, who then went on to help others plant churches and pastor churches, a good person, a righteous man. One of his adult children started a business. The business started getting a little bit of success, and the child decided, you know what, I want to expand the business. I want to add other locations, and so went to the bank, but the bank wouldn't give a business loan. And so the good dad, the righteous dad, the ministry dad, emptied out his 401k and gave all the money to the child. There were struggles in the business and the child was convinced things are ready to turn. The tipping point is is really very close. Just a little more capital and the business will go over the edge and really over the hump and it'll go from there. And so dad, the faithful man, the righteous man, mortgaged his home and gave the money to the child. And the business went belly up. Retirement money gone. Bank foreclosed the house. The righteous man, the faithful man, the ministry man lost everything. How does a good person make such tragic mistakes? I mean, really, anybody who hangs around a church and ministry long enough, you hear sermons about how God wants to bless lives and how God heals people and how God changes families and how God blesses finances. But still, if you observe, you get engaged, you watch and figure what's happening, there are examples of people who hear the messages but aren't experiencing what's being preached and taught. Why? Why is that? Actually, if we become students of the Bible, the Word of God, there are similar stories in here. Sometimes we think in the Bible, well, the stories in the Bible are like this. We get stories about wicked people who live wicked lives. Well, that's true. Well, there's a story about righteous people who have righteous lives. That's also true. But today I want to point out that in this book we also find stories of good people who did foolish things and it cost them dearly. Right in this book, there are battles lost, there are lives ended, there are families ruined by good people acting foolishly. 
There are murders and adulteries. There are kingdoms lost. There are friendships ended in this book by decent humans who are acting ignorantly. There are hopes vanished and promises extinguished and health wasted and fortunes forfeited and relationships terminated. These are Bible stories that happened at the hands of good people who were living poorly. Why do these things happen? Job, in the book of Job, chapter 9 and verse 4, he made a helpful observation for this discussion today. In Job 9.4, the Bible says, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prosper? Well, clearly God is wise and God is mighty. That's plain and simple. Job declares it. But after declaring that truth, Job then asks, who has hardened himself against him, against God, and prospered? Who's hardened himself against God and still prospered? Nearly every spring, and it's coming up again in April, May, My wife wants me to take her to Skagit County and the beautiful tulip fields. Sometimes we visit, you've been there, you know this, you visit and boots are absolutely needed. There's not just mud, there's lots of mud. Fabulous Pacific Northwest rain, notice how I said fabulous soaks those tulip fields, making them muddy and soft. But there are other times we have visited those fields and the rains have ended. And the fields are different. The fields are crusty. I've been there when the surface is hardened and it's even cracking it's so hard. Yet when you walk on it, you can tell it's a crusty surface, but there's moisture underneath. But the surface is hard and dry. The soil's gone from moist and muddy to crusty and hard. And you know what? We know this. That doesn't happen immediately. First, the rain dwindles. There's fewer days of rain. And then there's fewer inches of rain. It's not as severe. Less rain Less mud, slowly but certainly, then no rain, and then more crusty, hardened soil. Job asked the question, who has hardened himself against God and prospered? It's a rhetorical question. Listen, good people live poorly when we allow our lives to harden toward God. Like that tulip field soil, lives don't harden immediately. Would you hear the preacher today? It's not overnight that we go from muddy, saturated, spiritually soaked people into hard, cracked, and crusty, hardened ones toward God. Oh no, my friend, but over a period of time, choices are made. Oftentimes, not intentionally, but accidentally. Good people, people who have an experience with God, 
get hardened toward God. We minimize God. Sometimes we de-emphasize God. And sometimes it's not just ignoring God, but we forget about God. We go on our daily duties and our things, and we don't even consider, hey, I might want to talk to God about this. Distancing God, it happens when we don't make the connection between eternity and our present reality. Times we become crusty because we compartmentalize God and the spiritual rain diminishes because there are some areas of my life I don't want God raining on. I don't want God messing with. I don't want him investing and challenging and changing that area of my life. We don't need him, we think. For some things, dryness comes when we keep God at arm's length. We hold God to a comfortable distance. And as we make these small incremental decisions, they accumulate until there is fully hard, crusty, cracking soil in our approach, in our determination, and our response to God. And when we get to that place where we are hardened toward God, hear this preacher and that ancient preacher Job from years ago. We cannot expect God's prosperity and God's success when we have put him out of areas of our life. Good people know failure when they allow their lives to harden against God. How's a good person make tragic mistakes? It bothers me. I believe that good people foolishly fall when we mistake our righteousness for wisdom. Good people foolishly fall when we mistake our righteousness for wisdom. You see, righteousness, that explains the believer's standing with God. It describes his view of our lives when we are in right relationship with him. According to scripture, living in the New Testament covenant, we enjoy rightness with God when we apply the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to our lives. We enjoy rightness with God when we repent, when there's sorrow for walking the wrong direction and we turn toward Jesus Christ. There's rightness with God when we are baptized in the name of Jesus to wash away our faults and failures. There's rightness with God when we receive the gift of his Holy Spirit, part of him dwelling within us. And that New Testament, new birth experience makes us righteous in God's sight. It brings us into right relationship with him. And that's a a wonderful and miraculous and amazing thing that we could never accomplish on our own. But righteousness... It's not the same as wisdom. 
Wise living is earthly. Wise living is a human experience. In the great book on wisdom, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 7, wise Solomon writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear of the Lord, the respect of God, entering into a right relationship with him. That's the beginning of knowledge. That's the start. But hear me, it doesn't say all knowledge is now yours. It doesn't say all wisdom is now yours. It doesn't say you've completed the package and you got all of God's brains. It doesn't say that. It says the fear of the Lord's the beginning of knowledge. And it also says fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think it's interesting that it doesn't say wicked people despise wisdom. It doesn't say sinners despise wisdom. It doesn't make that differentiation. It says, in other words, I, I can be a good person. I could fear the Lord, yet still live foolishly in this world. Proverbs chapter 2, notice these verses, beginning at verse number 6. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense. Man, there you go. The treasure of common sense. He grants that to the honest. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Verse 9, then, in other words, afterwards, after these things have happened, then you'll understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Hear me today, according to Scripture, wisdom follows honesty and integrity and faithfulness. We aren't told that wisdom comes with the salvation package. We don't get baptized in the name of Jesus and come up out of there full of wisdom and understanding. It's not the way it works. Wisdom for living is separate from righteousness with God. Come on, think about it, folks. I can be compassionate and kind, and it's not the same as being thoughtful and thorough. I could be loving, and it's not the same as being discerning. I can be funny, and it's not the same as being perceptive. Kind people aren't always knowledgeable. Pleasant folks aren't always rational. Sweet folks aren't always sensible folks. Righteousness explains the believer's standing with God. Wise living is a human experience. I want us to get it in our hearts and our understanding and our knowledge today. Sometimes we mistake our right standing with God with wise living on the earth. And when we do, good people fall into foolish outcomes. 
What's the alternative, preacher? Surely you haven't just shared all this information to scare the bejeebers out of all of us. There's got to be a solution. Indeed, I need to make us aware of the deception and the error and the faults that would cause us to crash. But I happily proclaim that there are elements of Scripture very clear and very direct to help ordinary humans as you and I. There is a better way. We can experience God's prospering. We can know God's success, not just on Sundays in a house full of worshiping disciples, but we can know success in our career choices. We can know success in our marriages and families. We can know success as we go into this world in our financial decisions. We can know success in our retirement. We can know success in our careers if we do... What the scripture points us to do. A few weeks ago from this pulpit, I spoke about the Ark of the Covenant. Particular David's efforts to return the Ark to Jerusalem. Perhaps you recall that the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. It wasn't all of God's presence, a gold box, but it it signified the centrality. And when he visited his people, it was from the centrality of that box. And so David's trying to bring the box back to the Israel, to the city. And we talked about how uh, that it, while it was at the house of Obed-Edom, God blessed that household because of the ark. So David had one failed attempt to return the ark, then he got it right, and he led the people to transfer the ark back to Jerusalem. And so we pick up that same story again, if you'll look with me in 1 Chronicles 16 and verse number 1. Bible says they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for us. Then they burnt offerings, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. They brought it back, put it in the tabernacle, in the tent, in the town where they were living. Verse number 7, the Bible says, On that day David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. Now, this entire psalm runs to verse 35. I'm not going to read it all right now. I encourage you to read it in its entirety. It's a wonderful song. But I want us to notice something right near the beginning of the song David had sung after the ark was back in town. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Look at verse 11, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face evermore. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face evermore. Over the recent holidays, 
our family took an adventure, went down to Safeco Field or T-Mobile Field now. We went to that Enchant Christmas thing where the whole infield was created into this big old maze of incredible Christmas lights. And in the maze, there were hidden Santa's nine reindeer. So as you walk into the maze, every participant's given this little card with all the names of the nine reindeer. And there's little scratch-off places. When you find a reindeer, you could go over to the table with all the five-year-olds and scratch off your gold coin that you found that reindeer. Some in our party were more jazzed about finding all nine than others. We went round and round in that crazy maze, seeking nine reindeer. I'm sorry to confess, among six average Americans, we were not able to find them all. Some little five-year-old kid found them all in five minutes probably, but adults were lacking. I think we found seven of them. But after that, it was over. The seeking was finished. We'd found all the reindeer we were going to find. Everybody with me? Seeking was a one-time event. Seek, find, it's over. And so I'm challenged when David writes his psalm and he says to the children of Israel, Seek the Lord and His presence and His strength. Seek Him evermore. And I begin to struggle. That seems kind of strange to me because the ark wasn't lost anymore. The presence of God wasn't somewhere else anymore. It was no longer in a barn at Obed-Edom's house. The ark was in town. It was in a tabernacle made by David. It was in a tent. The ark, if you will, while David was talking, was right over there. David's seeking had to be different than us looking for reindeer in a ballpark. I want to know why does the king call his people to seek the Lord when the presence of God is right in the tent? Obviously, it's right there. Why does David challenge all of Israel to seek what is obvious? His meaning of seek, if we look in other translations, it says study God. It says search for the Lord. It says look to the Lord. Study God. Inquire of God. Look to the Lord. In modern day, in practical terms, I submit to this congregation, David was saying this. We sought the ark. We searched for the presence of God. We brought it back home and we set it up in a tent. And there it is. And now as he's singing and as he's rejoicing, he says to the children of Israel, now hear me. As often as you can, as regularly as you would, go to the tent. Seek what is obvious. 
Get into that tabernacle. Saturate yourself in the presence of God. Have you found God's presence? Absolutely they had. Did they know where he was? Certainly they did. David was saying, now visit the ark. I want you to notice in that passage, he said, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Seek his face evermore. Seek his presence continually. Pursue his presence day and night. Frequent the power of God always. Why? Why did David feel that way? Why was the presence of God so important as David challenged the people of Israel? I'll take you back to the book of Job once again. Job said, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength God is wise and mighty you get to the New Testament the Apostle Paul and an Apostle by the name of Jude had this to say in 1 Timothy 1.17 now to the King eternal immortal invisible to God who alone is wise be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jude, in the last sentences of the book and the letter that he wrote, verse 25, he says, To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power now and forever. I believe with all of my heart, that David called for continual and lifetime pursuit of God's presence because David knew there is a difference between rightness with God and wisdom in living. David knew, I want to be in the presence of God because he alone is wise. David understood the presence of God brings more than a right relationship for humanity. The presence of God also brings wisdom for living. I preached this afternoon, there's a difference between finding God and learning from God. There's a difference between an experience with God and the goosebumps of a prayer meeting and there is a prospering and a success life with God we don't constantly pray and turn to God because we've lost him we're not on our knees because our relationship is in question rather we constantly seek the obvious because we want his wisdom for living day to day finding God the first time that makes my soul right with him but seeking God all the time that makes our lives successful here and now (laughs) 
Well, I preached today. You know what? We keep going back to that obvious tent because God alone is wise. We seek the obvious because we want His wisdom in our day-to-day living. We seek the obvious because you know what? I want to maximize success and I want to minimize foolishness. That's why we seek the obvious. 21 days of prayer, preacher. Why are you doing that? Did you lose God? You don't know where He is? Is your relationship in trouble? Oh no, my friend. We seek the obvious because we want to maximize our success and we want to minimize our foolishness. We want to do that as individuals. We want to do that as families. We want to do that as a congregation. Why you have pre-service prayer for 30 minutes. Don did a great job leading prayer today. Evan did a great job last week. Why do you do that, preacher? We're going to pray at the end of church anyway. Why are you praying at the beginning of church? What's going on? You're so carnal? You're so sinful? No, my friend, we seek the obvious because we want to maximize success and we want to minimize foolishness right here, right now on this earth as individuals and families and as a congregation. My God, preacher, you're getting all stinking wound up. Sweat's running down your little bald head. What's a big deal, man? We saw you last weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Preacher, you were having a Holy Ghost rally, tearing it up, enjoying the presence of God. What are you doing back here again this week? Why in the world are you coming two weeks in a row? You got three services last week. You're good till June, man. Why are you back again this week? Why are you so wound up tight about the things of God? I'll tell you why. It's not because I've lost him. It's not because I've sinned during the week. I'll tell you why. Because I recognize he alone is wise. And I recognize I want to maximize God's prosperity in my life. And I want to minimize the foolishness and the life failures and the crash and burn. I want to have God's favor in my life I want his wisdom so I follow the King David song seek the Lord and his strength seek his face evermore for his wisdom for his strength always always what are you getting at preacher I'm getting at here and now I'm getting at 2019 I hope to have provoked to prayer those in this room who are weighing things in their lives. I hope to provoke in this room those that are making college choices 
and career choices that they would decide I'm going to seek the Lord and his strength forevermore in this decision. For those in this room that are making decisions about their family, the school their kids attend or where they're going to go to school or maybe your children are entering kindergarten for the first time. I preach to parents, you know what? Those decisions, those steps, those outcomes, we need to seek the Lord and His strength and seek His face evermore. I preach today who are considering a, a new relationship or perhaps the status of a current relationship. We need to seek the Lord and His strength. The reason many good people end up in lousy relationships is because we falsely think God doesn't care about that. Hear me today. The church is the bride of Christ. He cares about our relationships as much as that. You considering a home purchase? Are you considering a major financial decision? Are you doing something in retirement or in career? Listen, I plead, I preach in faith. We ought to seek the Lord and the only wise God always in all things. I preach kicking off 2019 for each and every one who's already involved in serving in ministry and to those who would become involved in serving in ministry, whether that's in children's ministry, student ministry, music ministry, guest services ministry, whatever the ministry, music and students and all of those things, faith group leadership and all the roles in faith group. I pray for a congregation that'll saturate those ministries in the power and presence of Almighty God. I pray for men and women who must have a saturating anointing of God. Stand with me all over this house. I preached this afternoon about decisions, lives, choices that are bathed in God's presence. I pray for men and women that will recognize and realize anytime any human decides I don't need God in that area of my life. We're making a choice. We're saying my wisdom is greater than his. In Old Testament and New, they were convinced. Those who walked in the steps and pathways with Jesus Christ, their conviction, their knowledge, their understanding was... He alone is wise. Of course, if I've never found Him, I've not known of forgiveness of my sins. I've not been baptized or filled with His Spirit. That's a starting place. It's got to begin right there. And hear me today. This Holy Savior did not die on the cross, suffer that pain, humiliation and ridicule raise himself from the dead 
so you and I could have a one-time hit of godly power. That is not what this holy book is all about. But even before the outpouring of the Spirit, there was a man named David got all jazzed about a God experience. And in that moment of God moving on him as he penned his song, he said, these people got to know. The ark is home. It's in a tent. It's right there. It's obvious. These people got to know. That's not the end. It's the beginning. These people got to know you need to be in that tent. Little decisions add up and become big decisions. You need to be in that tent. Why do you change your schedule? Why do you work around an afternoon service on a Sunday? Why do you organize your life so you can participate in a faith group and get together with other believers? Let me tell you why. Because I need to be in that tent. I need to look at that gold box. I need to be around when His presence settles in. I got a few degrees, I got decades of experience, but I don't have the wisdom I need to go a step farther. I need to be in that tent. If anybody in this house feels a little bit like I do, would you join me in the presence of God? Would you, even where you're at, raise your hands? Would you come up around this front area and kneel? Would you close your eyes? Would you open your voice? Whatever is spurring you and challenging you right now. Come on. Somebody want to be in that tent. Are there men and women and moms and dads and husbands and wives that will declare, you know what, I am not going into 2019 on my own, of my own energy, my own defense, and my own understanding. No, I want to seek the presence and the power and the anointing of God all the days of my life. I don't want to end up in a foolish failure. I want the prosperity of the all-knowing and only You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. You give me peace.